0: What's up? It is Raphael with NBA Draft Junkies Podcast. I have a guest today, another person I've met on NBA Draft Twitter, which is like a family of its own in a sense. It's just a bunch of guys that talk NBA Draft. And a lot of times these are people that you've probably never met, but you feel like you're a family. You feel like you're friends with them because you read so much of their tweets and their takes and have so many discussions with them. And so today my guest is Will Morris. Now, I know I've mentioned in previous podcasts that there are guests that have very interesting mock drafts or big boards, but this today, I can guarantee you, will be the most unique one, if not most up there, unique mock drafts that you've seen on the NBA Draft Junkies podcast. But before we get into that, Will, thanks for coming on. How's everything going?
1: Oh, it's going well. Thank you so much for uh having me. This is the first podcast I've been a guest on, so Oh yeah. really? Yeah, I appreciate it.
0: All right, I'm gonna call it out first of many. First of many, because uh <laughs> like I said, I've been following your work on you know, your NBA draft tweets and you're knowledgeable and, and if it's something that you want to like get into, I think that you have a, a, a pretty good eye for talent. But more importantly, you're very confident in your in your takes. So Let's go. All right. First pick of the 2020 <laughs> NBA draft, the Minnesota Timberwolves are on the clock. And if you are in charge of the Timberwolves, who is your first pick?
1: Yeah, so this is probably going to ruffle some feathers right away. But um, I'd go with Alexey Pokusevsky, um, played for Olympiakos uh, in the Greek second division this year. Um, become somewhat of a polarizing player i guess you know there's some people especially on draft twitter who are really high on him um then you see him you know in the 20s and stuff on a lot of the uh mainstream mocks or boards but um to me um i know the efficiency wasn't really there for him uh in fiba uh for serbia or uh, in the greek second division this year but the skills are really hard to ignore um and then when you combine that with the fact that he's uh seven feet tall and moves like a guard um and he's only 18. He, yeah exactly he's the youngest player um in this class by i think a few months um he's even younger than like bj boston and Cade cunningham uh jalen johnson like a whole bunch of guys in next year's class too um So, yeah, I mean, that's one of the one of the main criticisms of him is that he's only played in the Greek second division and uh, in like youth FIBA tournaments. So he hasn't really played against uh, high level competition yet, but he's also extremely young. So, uh, I mean, if you're going to hold that against him for playing against uh, men in Greece, then I think you know, you might have to discount like every high school player in America's film too, um, just because he's, he's that young, you know? Um, yeah, that's
0: that's a good point because, you know, the, the same high school kids that everyone is talking about and raving about in the 2021 class, as of now, have only played against other high school kids also. And he, like you said, he's younger than, a few of the guys that are projected top five picks in the 2021 draft.
1: Yeah. And I mean, even like, you know, the guys in next year's class that people are talking about, but even someone like James Wiseman, who's uh, didn't play too much in college. um, Three games. Yeah. Three games, two of them against, what was it? uh, Chicago state
0: and South Carolina, something.
1: Yes, not not good teams. Uh, one of them was, like, 340th in, like, the Kempom rankings. So, like, you know, not very good teams. He played EYBL, but uh, the numbers there weren't great. And then, other than that, it was just emphasis, you know? So, like, I I guess the, like, criticism there, like, if if you're going to criticize Pokusevsky for that, then I think Wiseman shouldn't be a top 10 pick either you know or like a top three pick that's that's valid Uh, and it's something
0: that I haven't thought of from that perspective and anybody that's been listening to this podcast has heard me tell this story over and over again but I was actually there at the tournament in Greece at the under 19s or no under 18s where he kind of had his coming out party so I saw all the talent I saw the skills I saw everything that you've seen that the reason why you have number one but I also saw, like, the downside of, of um, you know, just wondering, like, how he'll hold up physically. And then despite his talent, I always felt like he didn't have, like, the greatest motor. If he had, like, this, this motor, this energy, I think that he could have dominated, like, consistently. Because I know in that tournament he had, like, that one game early on where he had, like, a triple-double. And then the numbers kind of declined since then and then – Still, I'm still trying to figure out why he played six minutes against Germany and just never got back in the game and didn't play the rest of the the tournament. I was at that game. I didn't see any ice on him. I didn't see an injury. I didn't see anything like that. So I I had some question marks on him since then. But overall, talent-wise, man, this this guy has it. Like you said, he moves like a guard. I think his natural, natural position is a wing, but he's seven feet tall. So... you're gonna probably put him on the block, and I think he has an upside as a shooter, a passer. I mean, he's just a big weapon in a sense. He is a lot of things that he can do. If he maxes out his talent, he should be a switchable defender because of how coordinated he is. And and he was a good shot blocker in that tournament. He picked up a lot of steals. Talent is there, and you know, like there's the shock factor of seeing him over you know these guys that everybody's familiar with and everybody's been hearing about but once you like kind of break it down explain it the way you did and then let's say he he has a, a decent season this year and then he would definitely be a top five pick in the 21 draft so you said every, everything you said made sense to me it's just the shock value of seeing him number one especially for minnesota when you can think Maybe you can get him at seventeen, also.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, it's just those skills are like pretty, pretty eye popping. Like he's making skip passes and pick and roll and stuff, and like manipulating defender defenders with pace as a ball handler, uh, like shooting foot. off a pin downs. So like it's the skills are the skills are crazy, you know, and it's just not stuff you see a lot. Obviously, there's, like, a lot of kinks to work out, but, like, the closeouts, especially, like, he has some of the most ugly closeouts I've ever seen, or, like, <laughs> I don't know if he's, like, even just perimeter defense. I know he has potential there, but, like, um, he'll just get beat sometimes, give up on plays. Um, yeah, and but to me, you know, the skills are just, it's hard to ignore Hard to ignore.
0: Yeah. And that's why I said, like, sometimes the motor isn't there. Sometimes you can tell, at least in my opinion, I feel like he's so naturally skilled and so naturally talented that everything has come easy to him. And I wonder how he'd play if he's thrown in a situation in, like, the G League where he's going against a bunch of hungry guys who are trying to make a name off themselves because they know that all the eyes will be on him. Or he's in a situation where he's not the most talented player on the floor or he's head and shoulders more talented than everybody else, nine times out of 10. And now maybe he'll have to work a little bit harder, which if he does, man, you might have, you're a superstar. But again, it just, just like my eye test says, this is all natural skills that he has developed or not even really developed was just born with. And now, now that everybody's kind of looking at him, he's going to have to maximize them.
1: Yeah, um, I 100% agree with everything you said there. Um, the Like his mental approach to the game that like you brought it up, it's like puzzling at times. I was watching the um, ANGT, I think it was two years ago in Belgrade. They had some of those games on YouTube. Um, and there's times where like he'll turn the ball over and he'll just like hang his head and not get back on defense. Yeah. Um, and stuff like that. And I feel like, um watching him a little bit in the Greek second division this year um and in FIBA, like he cut that out a little bit. like in that tournament, I thought it was like I thought it was pretty bad in that tor- tournament and like as he's gotten older, it's gotten progressively better, um at least from what I've seen, like obviously he still has those plays um, you know where he's not really showing too much effort being lackadaisical and whatnot but yeah
0: yeah and I mean I, I imagine that comes with youth you know I remember um I felt the same way when I first saw Sekou Dambuya play he was like 15 and I remember looking at my notes and I was like oh my gosh this kid is he's so immature he <laughs> doesn't you know he doesn't do this he doesn't do that and then I was able to find out at the time that he was 15 playing at the under 18s. And so his immaturity kind of, it made more sense to me because he was so much younger than everybody else. But I mean, there's still signs of that now a little bit also, but again, he's Sekou is super young. He was one of the youngest guys, if not the youngest in last year's draft. So I think, um, you know, it's just one of those things that you have to, kind of live with when you're selecting teenagers so high and and you know forcing them to be adults in the in a grown man league. So it's something to look at, but I don't know if it's that big of a concern right now because again he's he's 18 years old. All right, so that yeah. was the first shocker, right? <laughs> <laughs> so um, here comes the second one. So the Golden State Warriors are the second, are, are se- selecting second in the draft. And who do you have the Warriors taking at number two?
1: Yeah. So I have them going with uh, Devin Vassell, the 6'7, six-seven, six-six and a half wing from Florida State. Um, I think Vassell sort of has this reputation as this like very safe prospect. Um, not someone with a lot of upside, but who can probably come in and uh, contribute right away. Um, I agree that he can contribute right away. And I also understand why um, one might think he doesn't have that much upside. Um, and it, having him here at two definitely concerns me a little bit for that reason. Like, Vassell really struggles to get inside. Um, his free throw rate is like point two two or something like that um, which is not great he's like 190 pounds very skinny Um, but I think he has more upside than people give him credit for Um, he has shown um, the ability to create his own shot off the dribble Um, and it's not really just flashes he was legitimately a fantastic off the dribble shooter this year um, per 40 minutes, he's had, I think it was 2.05 uh, dribble jumpers per 40 minutes. And Tatum had 2.07 at Duke. So he's just under that. Um, I'm not saying he can, he's going to be another Jason Tatum. But like, I don't know, as like a secondary creating wing, um, there's, there's some shot creation chops here. Um, and I don't think he gets enough credit for it
0: yeah i I agree he's one of my high upside guys he's a combination of high upside and safe pick at the same time i've been on the record of saying if he develops his ball handling gets stronger and you know improves more so as a shot creator because right now i feel like if you close out on him his game is two dribbles pull up hard drive to the right spin left pull up mid-range pull up I'm hoping the reason why he doesn't attack the rim as much is because he's so skinny. I'm hoping if he bulks up, then that will improve, you know, uh, the amount of times he attacks the rim, which will increase his free throw rate. But I also feel that if, if he doesn't add that to his game, he's still going to be a you know, high level starter uh, for, for quite a few years to come. There are concerns again about the weight because he's been in school two years and he's still, is real thin. So you wonder like, I mean, two years is a long time, but you wonder if, if he is going to be able to add a lot of weight to his frame or get a lot stronger. Um, but yeah, I think best, best case scenario, like really best case scenario. If he adds everything to his game, I think he could be like a Paul George type.
1: Yeah. I, I don't even disagree with that. I mean, uh, like you mentioned, like you want to see him improving the handling, and I agree with that, being able to get to the rim more. Um, Vassell is like on a really rapid development curve. Um, he wasn't really doing too much last year at Florida State. Um, clearly got a lot better, had a huge role on the team this year. Um, and he's also a really young sophomore. I think he's only. I think he's going to be like 20 and like three months or something like that. Uh, on draft day so he's uh, I think he's even younger than like Cole Anthony like he's a very very young sophomore um, who's on a rapid development curve and you know everyone's talking about how um, this draft doesn't have like a lot of uh, star gambles or whatever so like maybe you just take a chance on Vassell hope he can put on the weight um, see if the handling can Uh, improve and who knows maybe you have like a star
0: yeah i i agree it it makes sense to me because i definitely think this draft could be like 2013 where you don't have like this prospect at the top of the draft that was so good in college that you project to be a star but i think somewhere in the first round you're going to end up with possibly an all nba player somewhere. I mean, you look at that draft, you had what Giannis and Gobert who weren't in the lottery end up being MVP and defensive player of the year and all NBA. So I it would not shock me at all if this draft has a similar type outcome to where someone who's projected very high in the lottery ends up being a bust and then someone that falls out of the lottery could end up being, you know, a a franchise guy in a sense. I don't know who, <laughs> but you know, like, all right, let's, let's, let's give an example. Let's say Pokashevsky falls out of the the first round and he ends up not the first round, but out of the lottery, he ends up being like 16 or 17. And it's kind of reminds you of Giannis to where you got this raw, skinny prospect playing second degree, second division in Greece, who teams saw the skill set, but they were just afraid to draft because, you know, the footage wasn't all there and, and, and so on. And, and, you know, Giannis ended up being MVP. So I'm not saying could end up being like that, but there are some similarities in a sense, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I think that's part of the reason why, you know, looking at like the way I, I did this mock draft, it's like very different from, Uh, the consensus and like if you just go with the grain especially in a class like this um, where you know there's no I mean I think I think everyone agrees that like this isn't a great class at the top but um, like if you just go with the grain you're basically guaranteeing that you're gonna be like wrong when projecting these guys you know Um, so yeah to me uh pokusevsky at one makes makes sense just because i think the upside's there and he could totally flame out um but you know the upside's there and then uh vassell i think is a pretty safe option um at two but he also has upside so like that's that's kind of the exact prospect you want right like a guy with a high floor and a high ceiling yeah um so, yeah, and we haven't even talked about Vassell on the defensive end. Like, his, his team defense is absolutely nuts. Uh, yeah. The way he covers ground, can protect the rim um, from the weak side. Uh, he doesn't even have that long of a wingspan. I think he only has, like, a 6'10 wingspan or something like that. So, it's not like uh, Mikal Bridges or something like that. But, like, the instincts are just wild.
0: Yeah, I think he would be a good fit with Golden State also. I don't think he goes number two, but you put him in that situation where it's a team that's ready to win now. You give them a rookie that's ready to come in and contribute right away. He helps them on the defensive end. He knocks down open shots, and then it gives him time to develop the skills that we both agree that we think that he has that can help him become, you know, this – this. the the player that I I think in best case scenario he could become, which is like a Paul George type. So let's move on to numero three. Um, You know, the first two have been shockers. This one is, it's still somewhat in that range. It may not be as big of a shocker as, as the first two, but who do you think is a good fit for the Hornets at number three?
1: Yeah. So for uh, Charlotte at three, I have Killian Hayes. Um, from Ulm. Um, he's one of my favorite players in this class to watch. I just think he's so crafty with his, um, his counters. Um, his, his off-the-dribble scoring has developed um, like crazy. I mean, I watched him like a little bit um, at Cholet, and I did not think he was going to uh, be like shooting those double-step backs um, that he was at uh, Ulm this year. Um, so that was, and it, you know, it wasn't like a few highlight plays. He was doing it every game during the season. Um, the footwork, uh, sidesteps, stuff like that really developed. Um, and then the pick and roll passing is obviously amazing. Um, just toys with defenders, um, manipulating them with his eyes. Um and then defensively, I don't think he gets enough credit either. He's six five long, uh, has good instincts off the ball and um has improved a lot as an on-ball defender. Um again, watching him at Cholet, like some of the like point of attack defense stuff is just brutal to watch. And then at home this year, he was like a legitimately good point of attack defender. So to me, it's like this is a guy um who has a lot of skills and he's on a sort of like cell, like a rapid development curve like the guy was getting better every game during the season um, and was way better this year than he was last year so um, to me that's a guy who definitely should be picked um, in the top three or four
0: I agree a hundred percent and that's why I like him over LaMelo I think lamello is a little flashier and he's obviously taller he has more pizzazz and sizzle to his name and maybe a little bit more to his game but i think overall just if i had to put him up side by side and say who's better at this all across the board i think hayes is the better player and i'm in the minority here i mean i guess you're you're in the group that has hayes over ball and me, you, Kevin O'Connor, <laughs> it might <laughs> probably be a few of us sitting on this hill. But I really think Hayes is the safer and 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 better player. I think that Melo doesn't really play any defense. And I think Hayes is, has the potential to be a pretty strong defender. And I think that Hayes is probably going to be a better shooter than, than LaMelo. Um, again, like I said, he's not as big. I have Melo slightly ahead of him as a passer. And it's it's not by a whole lot. And I think if Hayes just works on that right hand, then he's going to be special. And he's doing all of this playing with one hand. Like, you might as well tie the right arm behind his back. <laughs> but he's. I think he's going to be special. I think his finishing at the rim is underrated. He was one of the best in this class as far as guards, despite him not being like this high flyer and, and, you know, this guy that makes a bunch of plays above the rim. And also the fact that he was only finishing with one hand around the rim. And yeah, I I just think that he's the best point guard in this draft.
1: Yeah. For me, it's, it's two things that, well, a, a few things I guess that he needs to work on, like the off the dribble shooting could be more consistent, but like, I think that's hard not to buy um, the off the catch shooting scares me a little bit. Um, the mechanics there are a little bit inconsistent shot to shot. He just doesn't really look comfortable shooting off the catch, but yeah.
0: But what, um, what point guard that's used to having the ball in his hands does.
1: Exactly. When Nicole Anthony
0: may be the only one that I can think of that is used to dominating the ball in a sense, but is really good shooting off the catch at this stage in his career so early in his career so
1: yeah there aren't a lot and I mean the indicators are there um I don't know how strong an indicator like touch around the rim is or like floaters and stuff like that but his free throw percentage has was in the high 80s this year um so
0: percent I believe
1: yeah it's not like a Markel Fultz situation where like he shot 64 percent at the free throw line um He's clearly has like very good touch. Um, so yeah, it's hard to bet against his shooting. And then the other concern I have with him, as you mentioned, uh, is the lack of a right hand, which I think it's overblown a little bit because like he has counters to get back to his left. So all lefties it, do,
0: it. I'm left-handed, not saying I was a great player, <laughs> but every lefty can get back left. I mean, think about Ginobili. You can force him right and he just knew how to go right one dribble step back get to his left jab so yeah I mean all lefties can get back left it's just something that we have
1: yeah I mean even even like Harden doesn't have the greatest right hand um and then in this class like Denny of Dia struggles to go left Tyrese Halliburton um so I mean it's not like Hayes is the only guy with this like one concern. I think it's getting overblown a little bit. It's definitely a real concern though, yeah. Um, because yeah, he, he like he can't he can like throw crazy live dribble passes with his left, but with his right, it's like gather, take a second, and then like skip it to the corner, you know, which can you know a gives, the, gives the, the NBA. yeah exactly defense can recover and um guy can make a play in the passing lane, but.
0: And yeah, that's was, and that's where I think that he becomes even that much more dangerous of a passer if he can develop that. If he yeah. can run pick and rolls to the right side of the court and, and make those live dribble skip passes, if he can do that going both ways, he's gonna be tough to tough to stop, especially if, you know, he's knocking down shots and you know he, he's an effective scorer. So I like Hayes. You, <laughs> you don't have to convince me, but you may have to convince the audience because everybody's in love with LaMelo. And speaking of yeah. LaMelo, you have him going next to Chicago at four.
1: I do. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, I don't know. There's people who are like really in on LaMelo, have him like tier of his own, number one. There's also people I've seen, I've seen who, are, who are down on him. Uh, I think I'm somewhere in the middle. Um, mm-hmm. I think what he brings to the table is really hard to ignore. Like, um, he's, he's an incredible talent. Um, the way he handles the ball, um, the way he passes, uh, the, like, the you thought know, some
0: process, of the process, like the creativity to where he'll live dribble, 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 and then he'll just whip an underhand pass to a cutter or behind the back pass in traffic. Like... That part is amazing. Just one the confidence to do it. You have to have the confidence. Then the skill set. And then those passes are on the money. They're they're pretty much accurate. Just a crazy
1: talent. Yeah. I mean, he's throwing like full court baseball passes, like the second his feet hit the ground off a rebound and like behind the back pocket passes and stuff like that. Like and he he's still, like, I don't know, his his assisted turnover ratio wasn't, like, crazy, even though right. – or crazy, like, bad. You would um, think it would be
0: because he's such exactly. a high-risk, high-reward passer. But, yeah, his turnover percentage was really good, in my opinion. Like I said, especially considering he's not throwing safe passes at all. Um, yeah, I, and I've I mentioned mean, that in a couple of videos, but I felt like sometimes the shot selection is as bad as a turnover. But I digress. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think that's um, – I guess my, my – yeah, my concern with Lamello is that the shot selection, um, it's a bit all over the place at times. Like, he'll pull up from wherever, despite the fact that he's not a great shooter at the moment. Um, I do think, like, he'll probably be, like, a plus impact shooter in the NBA still just because, to me, like, the best indicator for shooting success in the NBA is volume. And he takes a lot of shots, um, and you know, shooters shoot like a guy like Robert Woodard had like forty percent from three this year, but he's taken like two 1. per one hundred possessions. So yeah. it's like Tyler Bay is in that same boat. So like, I mean, Lamelo is taking crazy stuff, so the percentage isn't going to be great. Um, but you know, he shot twenty five percent from three this year. The free throw percentage. Like, was- how
0: many attempts was it? Like five or six attempts a game.
1: Yeah, if I, something like that. It was
0: on volume. That's scary.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um and the free throw percentage was like 70s, I think. So not like not like Hayes level good, but you know, still still solid. Um what's more concerning to me is that LaMelo might not be able to like get to the rim and finish. Um I think he's pretty contact averse right now. Very low free throw rate. Um, And you know, what
0: helps him a little bit in that is he has such good touch on his floater. He does. Because he doesn't want the contact, I think he kind of makes up for it because his touch on the floater is crazy. And he has deep floater range. I mean, it's not Juan Carlos Navarro range, but he does have pretty decent range where, you know, his floater, sometimes you feel like, He might as well shot a pull-up jumper at the free throw line instead of a a floater. So I think that helps him because, like you said, he is pretty much contact-diverse. But he's he's so thin, like most 18- or 19-year-olds are. And and then, you know, we saw him playing in the grown-man league. So I get that.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, to me, it's just, like, the upside is pretty appealing. Like, some of the stuff he does is incredible. But, like, there's a chance he's – not really able to score at all you know like what if he can't finish and his uh three-point jumper like never gains any efficiency at all like it's one thing if he's like like Luka Doncic shot like what 31 percent from three this year
0: but they're all contested
1: step backs yeah exactly like if Lamelo can is like at 30 percent on like volume and he's scoring and stuff like it's It's probably fine, but like, what if his jump shot just isn't good? You know, there could be, there could be like no way for him to actually score in the NBA, but I think the passing is good, so good, and like the handling that he'll probably be like at worst, um, like a respectable uh, starting point guard in the NBA. Um, If the the
0: the shooting doesn't pan out, then it kind of, eliminates his greatest asset as a passer because, you know, I, I feel like the best passers in the NBA are LeBron, Harden, um, Luka, but those guys are also 25 point per game scores. I mean, Chris Paul is in that range, but he's still a threat to score to where you have to respect his ability to, you know, get to his pull up and, and all of that. So it kind of opens up everything as a passer. I feel like if you're not a threat to score, then when you run in the pick and rolls, the teams are just going to go under. And it's just going to make it really hard for you to be a, to maximize your your passing instincts and your skills. So I think scoring for Melo is the most important thing he should work on because it unlocks his creativity as a passer.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think what I was more, more trying to get at there was like, if he hits like his 30th or 40th percentile outcome or something like that, maybe he's just like, I don't know, like a slightly worse shooting version of his brother, Lonzo, who like has, um, you know, like serious advantage creation problems. But as like a guy passing against a tilted defense, um, he's very good. Um, As a guy like initiating offense in transition, he's very good. But as a guy who's like, you know, like running running an offense and is like, primary half-court initiator, um, he's not really anything, you know? And I yeah. think, you know, if Lamelo's half-court scoring never really uh, develops, that's probably what he's going to be, something like that, where you can, like, he still has, like, his flashy passes, um, but it's all coming against, like, a tilted defense or in transition rather than, like, him, like, doing all this crazy stuff in the pick and roll Um, because if he can't score, they can just play the pass, you know? Yep.
0: I agree. All right. Number five, which is the Cleveland Cavaliers, right?
1: Yeah. Yep. That's the Cavs.
0: So number five, and this is, I mean, obviously with the first two being big shockers, so you know there's going to be more down the line. And you're the only person that I've seen have Anthony Edwards outside of the top two. So you have him going five to Cleveland. The floor is yours to explain why (laughs) Anthony Edwards drops to number five.
1: Yeah. I mean, (laughs) Edwards, I'm not going to lie. He really scares me. Um, I think the, the like he's obviously a super talent um guys with his physical tools don't come around often he's 6'5 225 uh 6'9 wingspan and um super bursty powerful uh, powerful athlete um and you know he's like a really skilled shot creator too like you obviously watch the second half of that michigan state game that uh everyone's always talking about where he scored like what was it? Thirty points in the second half. Yeah. That was that was crazy to watch, you know. Um, so I think the scoring upside is definitely real. Um, what scares me is the decision making stuff um, on both ends of the floor, really. Um, offensive side um, takes some crazy, crazy, crazy pull ups. Um, when you know he's contested pull-ups yeah yeah and he's not hitting them at a higher rate um he shot 30 percent on long twos this year um, and I think 29 percent from three so he's not really hitting them at too high a rate um when he could you know get downhill um and score around the rim maybe not every play because I don't know if he his handle is like to that level where he can just like beat anyone off the dribble whenever he wants. Um, but I, I wish he went downhill more. Um, I think he has the ability to like make basic pass and reads, but he also um, misses a lot of windows. Like sometimes he'll just decide like, Hey, I'm going to take a shot on this possession. Um, and he'll just put his head down and like take a shot without really looking. Uh, even if there's an open man. Um, The defense is probably what scares me the most. And I think people look at him and say, oh yeah, he's 6'5 with a 6'9 wingspan, um, built like a truck. So he's probably, you know, you can develop him into a good defender. Um, And this this might be a hot take, but I actually trust LaMelo more on the defensive end than I trust Edwards. Um, <laughs> to me, Lamelo, like he's six eight, so you don't have to like stick him on the team's primary ball handler. Like you can use him off ball, and like he obviously has incredible basketball instinct. So like, there's hope for him as a guy who can like do stuff in the passing lanes. Edwards, you know, you don't need him like, like he's he's big. Like you can play him off ball, but like, it's his off ball defense that's so bad. Like he just gets beat um, all the time on back cuts. Um, we'll just lose track of his man. Um, sometimes he'll just like leave his man and double the ball handler, um, for whatever reason. Um, and then the on the ball defense is pretty terrible too. Um,
0: but he showed flashes that he can, like the Michigan state game. I don't know what, I mean, that was like an outlier performance. He showed his potential on both ends of the floor. I think because it was so early in the season, we're all expecting like more games like that, which didn't really happen.
1: Yeah, and yeah, that, that, the second half of that game was definitely crazy. Like he, as an on-ball defender, like there was a play in that game where someone set a screen and he just went right through it, you know, and it didn't matter. And he just slid with, the, I think it was Winston. Um, forced a turnover or something like that. But there's also times where he'll just die on screens, you know, and he'll just give up on plays. Um, so, yeah, I think the defense, there's definitely like, I think his ceiling is capped on that end. Like, I don't think you're, you're gonna get like a, you're never gonna see Edwards like put it all together on that end just because based on where he's at now. He's just so, so, so far away. Um, I think there's a chance he's only a slight negative. Um, and then the floor is like really, really, really low uh, on that end. Like he, he could be um, – like his rookie season on his rookie contract, um, the defense is going to be really ugly. Like I can't even – imagine. like he could have like a minus – I don't know, like a minus three defensive PIPM or something like that. Like it's not going to be good. Um, yeah. Edwards, Edwards definitely worries me. Um, but you know, I'm still like relatively in on him. Like it's hard to go crazy ranking him super low. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, it's the second half of that Michigan state game and, uh, other times throughout the season where like he looked amazing, you know?
0: Yep. All right. So since we're talking about Edwards' defense as a potential, <laughs> potentially what holds him back. Now, let's talk about a guy who you have going number six, which is the exact opposite. You have Isaac Ocoro going to his hometown <laughs> Atlanta Hawks. Now, if yes. you can swap those players out, then you have the certified guaranteed superstar yeah. at the top yeah. of this class. So, all right, let's talk about Ocoro's First of all, let's talk about his, his defense first, and then we'll transition into his offense. And you're concerned if you have any on the offensive end of the floor.
1: Yeah. Um, Okoro is an awesome defensive player. Um, really great on the ball. Um, I, I think that was his exact measurements in front of me, but I think he's like six um, Very strong. He doesn't have a crazy wingspan, but – um, he moves laterally so well, and he 's so light on his feet um if you're looking for a guy um who can, who you can like stick on the big wing creators um like the Lucas of the world or whoever um harden this is the guy like this is the guy you want um defending them man to man during the season um it's it's kind of the opposite of Vassell almost where I like I think Okoro's off ball defense is very good and like he clearly tries um I think I don't think he's like incredible at covering ground um like Vassell is and I think Vassell has some warts um as an on-ball defender I don't think he's an amazing um lateral mover uh so sort of the opposite in that regard but um, I still think Okoro's off-ball defense is generally good. Um, it's just not special. But the on-ball has the chance to be very, very good. Um, I don't know if, like, like maybe, like, second-team all-defense uh, type of ceiling. But, yeah, I guess shifting over to the offensive end, um, I think there's a lot of... Uh, Flashes for him as, like, a secondary creator. Um, He's a guy who can, like, he's a legitimately good passer uh, from the wing, um, and he's throwing passes off the live dribble. um, Can handle the ball pretty well. Uh, I watched him a little bit in high school, and his handle has definitely improved um, since his senior year of high school. So, you know, his passing is functional. Um, And then as a driver, I mean, the man is a free throw rate tank um like 0.5 free throw rate or something like that um the issue is he's not a great free throw shooter and he's not really a good shooter in general um by the end of the season teams were kind of just leaving him open um which is definitely uh scary um yeah
0: yeah and he wasn't confident shooter either once teams weren't guarding him, he still didn't want to take shots. There were possessions where I felt like he was open, and he only shot it because he didn't have another option. It's not like he shot it because, hey, I'm open. I'm going to knock this down. I'm going to make the defense pay. It was like he'll shoot it or he'll catch it, and he'll want someone to swing it to and realize everyone's covered, and then that's when he has to shoot it and, you know, Like I said, you could see that his confidence was pretty low in his shot. And, you know, like to me, not just me, but everybody who's watched O'Coro knows that his shot is going to determine his outcome. If he can become decent, then, you know, like you said, you think he has the potential to be second team all defense, but does he get the minutes on the floor if he can't be respectable on offense? Because I think the days of having the Terrence, not Terrence Roberson, That's way back in the day. The days of having like an Andre Roberson on your team, starting and playing 35 minutes a game, I don't know if it's possible in today's NBA, especially in the playoffs where teams are just going to, you know, just sag all the way off and just use that defender to to, to double on your main ball handler. So he's going to have to improve. We've had plenty of time. I mean, season ended in March and it's, It's uh, pretty much November right now. So he's had a lot of time to just sit and knock down corner threes. He doesn't have to come off pin downs. He doesn't have to do anything, but at least shoot 33% from the corner. And it it helps him out. If he can do that, and then, you know, as time goes on, he improves. But shooting is the key for him.
1: Yeah. And for me, one of the keys also is just, like, situation um i picked him to the hawks here because i think that's the perfect situation for him to me i think one thing the hawks should do is try to use trey young off ball a little more yep. um because his creation load is just it's just too heavy right now yep um and i Which think makes
0: him not even want to defend even more when he's already has disadvantages as a defender as is
1: Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, you get Okoro there as, like, a secondary creator type. Um, I think you can mask some of his offensive weaknesses because, um, like, with the ball in his hands, I think he's, like, he can be a good offensive player because he's such an explosive driver, um, such a great slasher. But if his role is, like, all right, stand in the corner, Uh, we're going to run a pick and roll, they're going to throw a skip past you, you shoot, you know, it's... (laughs) It's Lane like not is great. Be clogged. <laughs> yeah, and you know if if he gets mocked to I don't know a team or not mocked to drafted to a team that already has a bunch of creators, um, he's probably gonna you know be stuck in the corner and he's yep. gonna have to shoot a lot of those corner threes. Um, so yeah, to me, I think Atlanta is a great situation for him because um, you can mask some of his offensive weaknesses but yeah I can see Okoro struggling to stay on the floor if he's on a team where he's you know like I said stuck in the corner um doesn't really have any creation load
0: right all right now we're at the Detroit Pistons at number seven and this is I mean I've seen plenty of mocks I've seen probably more mocks than I should and this is one that I haven't seen so you have the Detroit Pistons selecting Okongu at number seven. Which, to me, it yeah. makes sense, especially if Christian Wood isn't going to be back or if they move Blake or whatever. So in your opinion, why is Okangu a good fit? I've heard people compare him to Andre Drummond, saying that if they just got rid of Drummond, okay. why bring in another Drummond? So what is your thoughts on Okongu at seven to Detroit?
1: Yeah, I mean – I, I just think that like at this point in the draft, um a Kongwu at seven is great value. And I definitely I mean, I'm not comparing a Kongwu to Drummond. I think a Kongwu is gonna be a lot more impactful than Drummond. Um I, I'm not a big Drummond fan, but um I, I I thought of that, like you know, they just traded away their centers just to, you know, draft a center at seventh overall. Um, And I think people on draft Twitter especially are like, don't draft centers early. Um, But I think we saw in the playoffs that there are specific types of centers that um, you can draft early. And I think Okongwu is one of them. Um, I think he's like coverage versatile versatile bigs who you can like um, play up high and pick and roll coverage and, um, you know, late switch and not – get killed. Um, Like, those are the types of guys that – those are the types of centers that it's okay to draft high. Um, Like, Drummond wasn't that. Um, He was more traditional. And I think, you know, Okongwu, it's not like he's taking outside jumpers, but he's modern in the sense that uh, he's incredibly mobile. Um, To me, I think what makes Okongwu appealing also is – Like, I think – I didn't – well, I guess the development curve, like, throughout the season um, from game one to game 31 or whatever. um, That last game against UCLA, he was, like, making reads on the short roll and stuff. Um, I'm not saying he's going to be, like, a BAM-level passer, but it's clear that his passing has improved. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, he can put the ball on the deck a little bit and drive in a straight line. Um, So, yeah. I, I'm not like there's people who will have a Kongmu at like three or four. Um I don't think he's like that transcendent uh, of a big to the point where I'd have him that high, but like um I think he's he's in that like special archetype of big where I'd be comfortable using like mid lottery selection on him.
0: All right, that, that sounds fair. So now another soccer. Number eight. <laughs> New York Knicks. <laughs> I love this one alright so who do you have the New York Knicks taking at number
1: 8 yeah so at number 8 I have the Knicks taking Grant Riller the 23 year old from the College of Charleston um, yeah I don't know I, I think the Knicks fans are going to absolutely hate that one just because um, 8 is very high for him um I'm the highest be I've be the seen highest.
0: by far. And I like Grant Riller. I like Grant Riller a lot. But you know, eight is eight is high.
1: Yeah. And I understand that. Like in terms of usage of assets, like you don't want to really draft him eighth in real life, um, because that's not like where his stock is at right now. Like uh, draft him at like 27th or something if you're the Knicks, because he'll probably still be there. Um, but in this in this mock, I have him there at 8th, just because I personally am very high on him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand a lot of the concerns. Um, being 23 years old and playing in the uh, Colonial Athletic Conference isn't a great look, um, especially when you consider that um, his defense wasn't good this year. Um, and I think even like people who like Rillard a lot, like, um, will try to defend him in that regard. And I, I think it's, it's hard to do. Like his defense wasn't great. I think there's more flashes of confidence than there was with, um, someone like Anthony Edwards. Um, like, I think he can be like a slight negative on that end. Uh, Because, you know, he can move laterally, has some positional strength. Um, He can, like, make basic rotations and stuff. But you're not getting a guy who's going to be great on the defensive end. Um, But it might not matter that much because Riller's offensive game is um, pretty incredible.
0: Yeah. Great finisher, Um, creative with the handle, strong, can – man, he's a scorer. Like, I I think that he can come in and be a three-level scorer early in his career, even though early in his careers his age is a lot more advanced than <laughs> you know other guys who are who are entering the draft this year. But yeah, I, I like Grant Riller a lot.
1: Yeah, um, I I've watched a good bit of of Grant Riller. I've I've written a few like uh, like individual player reports. Um, have like a little blog and he's, he's one of them. So I I did a lot of film work for him there. Um, And his, his scoring ability is just, it's, it's unbelievable. And just looking at um, some of the statistics, he's the only player in college basketball history um, in his height range to ever have 200 rim attempts in a season and shoot 70% from the rim. Um, So that's, Impressive. Yeah. Uh, that's like very, very special. Um, one of the best college finishers for guards ever. Um, and then if you look at like his efficiency numbers, um, considering his usage, because he carried heavy, heavy usage uh for Charleston this year and still had 60% true shooting. The guys in that category are Steph Curry. James Harden, Damian Lillard, Jimmer's in there, but, you know, there's a lot of other concerns with Jimmer. Um, Guys with that usage and that efficiency have tended to work out. Um, I also wrote another, um, like, statistical analysis where I was looking at um, guards who got to the rim and, like, how that impacts their success as creators in the NBA. And one thing I found is that... um, Guards who can, and and this is probably going to sound obvious when I say it, but there's a lot of guys who get drafted highly, um, who don't get to the rim by themselves a lot, and aren't great shooters, and they're small. Um, And the guys who who get to the rim a lot, who are like even respectable shooters, um, and like have, I think the the threshold I use was like 0.2 dunks per 40 or something. So basically, like. Being a respectable enough athlete, being able to get to the rim by yourself, um, and being able to shoot at a decent level. The list of names is like Shea Gilgis, Alexander, um, Kyrie Irving, Ola Depot, Lillard, McCollum, um, and Riller is in that group. Um, and even the guys who you know aren't, who who didn't like reach that star level outcome on that group are like. Jordan Clarkson and Delon Wright and guys like that who are still respectable players in the NBA and that's part of the reason why I like Riller so much. Like, I think there's a chance he becomes maybe not a Damian Lillard level scorer because I don't know if his his shooting is at that level. That's tough Um, to compare. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, it's tough to compare him to one of those guys, but like, I think he could be a really great scorer, but. If he's not like a guy you want to run your offense through he's probably the perfect second side creator because his first step off the catch is tops in this class um maybe maybe second to anthony edwards but um and then like finishing against the tilted defense it's it's going in every time you know so um to me riller's ceiling is appealing um and then i think that there's like like him at like his 40th percentile outcome is like a pretty, pretty good second side creator. And you know, there's a chance it doesn't work out with him because the defense might be questionable. that bad, but.
0: <laughs> All right, let's go to number nine. It's the Washington wizards and it's Tyrese maxi. So this is probably the highest I've seen Mac. No, I think that, I think somebody had him at number seven, but do you think Maxi's stock is increasing because of the whole Kentucky influence <laughs> and then having his own, you know, his own uh, workout <laughs> on ESPN <laughs> didn't hurt either. And so, um, but, but what are your thoughts on Maxi going to the Wizards? I think it's a, a really good fit, especially considering that, um, you know, he, he can learn from Wall and Bill. I actually think that any of the point guards in this class, Going to to uh, Washington, I think, is a pretty decent fit because you can come in and run the second unit and whatever your strengths are. If you're a scorer that needs to develop into a point guard, Washington gives you that opportunity. And so, um, yeah, I just wanted to hear your thoughts on why you have Maxi going to the Wizards.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm I'm not super high on Maxi as like um, this big time self creator. Um, I know people, some people on draft Twitter are like very, even higher than me on him, like top four or five. Um, I've seen him up there. But to me, I think he's, other than Riller, he's up there as in like that 6-3 range as like a really strong second side creator because he's a great finisher, um, attacking against a tilted defense, um, very powerful um, first step. I'm, I'm not comfortable taking him any higher than this just because um, to me, he's, he doesn't like have that, that like handle or um, self-creation threat to the point where like I'd have him um, any higher, but I think as a second side creator, he's about as good as it gets. Um, the spot up shooting um, will need to improve if that's, if he's going to like reach that um, that outcome I think he's a better shooter than he gets credit for then the numbers um, 20,
0: showed yeah the numbers it, didn't show him as a really good shooter
1: yeah and, and that's probably like listen to any podcast that talks about Tyrese Maxey and like that's the classic saying it's like he's a better number than the shooter show I mean there's a chance he's not a great shooter but like the free throw percentage is really good the touch um, around
0: the rim is great
1: the touch around the rim is great um those floaters and stuff um yeah so i think he's he's a pretty strong bet um to shoot the ball um i'm also very high on maxi as a defensive player um, and i think that's part of the reason why i have him here like if he if he wasn't a good defender uh i'd be pretty skeptical about maxi um or i mean i'd still like him a lot but i definitely wouldn't have him at nine um, the guy works really hard on that end mm-hmm. um, and you know he's he's strong 6'6 six, six wingspan um, I think he's the type of guy who can chase other guards around screens and stuff like that be a really uh, strong point of attack defender um, so yeah this the steal rate numbers aren't great um, doesn't like create a lot of Events, but I think he's he's going to be solid on that end. Um, yeah, the the fit in Washington, I think, is is pretty good. I think um, you know, playing under Wall and Beal is um, it's definitely a good situation yep. uh, for him. Learning from those two guys.
0: All right. Moving on down to the Phoenix Suns at number 10. This is a another interesting pick. I like to fit, um, especially if he doesn't come in and, and, and start right away. It's still a good situation. But who do you think is the best player available at number 10 for the Phoenix Suns?
1: Yeah, I mean, to me it's Kyra Lewis Jr. Um, that That thing I was talking about with Riller earlier where You know the guys who get to the rim a lot and um you know like have some level of athleticism and aren't tiny um and have you know just just like average shooting um tend to work out um kyra is one of those guys um he's in that group um so that's definitely a good thing for him Uh, i think his his floor is as like a third guard or something um talking again like the last three guys I've talked about like he's going to be very good attacking against um RD tilted defenses um just because of his speed his speed um, I is think, crazy <laughs> yeah he's very fast and I think compared with maxi I think he has more um self-creation equity um just because his first step is very very good <laughs> uh like there's there's definitely a chance he's a uh Pretty, pretty good advantage creator. Um, I don't know what level he can get to in that regard just because um, – well, he gets to the rim all the time, but, like, the finishing there is a little bit um, sketchy. I think he was at 55% at the rim this season, um, and he's not a crazy vertical athlete. Um, but I think so. Strength,
0: once he gets stronger, I think that will – have an impact positive impact on his finishing at the room because he's pretty light he's
1: yeah I don't know what he's he's,
0: listed at but he seems like he can't be any more than 175
1: yeah I think I think the combine measurements came out for him and I think he was like six three in shoes six one and a half without shoes and 180 pounds um so I forget what his wingspan was so he's put on some weight um, but yeah I, I still quarantine. definitely have
0: quarantine to do that to you
1: <laughs> yeah I know Tyrell Terry too Damn. but um <laughs> yeah I, I still have concerns about his finishing just because you know he's not like a great vertical athlete and he still is skinny like he's not built like Riller you know Um, defensively I don't think he's at the level of maxi but I think he's still pretty good um, definitely some lapses every now and then, but, um, it's kind of a weird skill, but like his recovery recovery tools are, um, crazy. Like there was a play against Georgia, I think, where, um, they set a screen and he kind of died just because he's so skinny, um, couldn't get through it. But then, um, some, like made his way back into the play and, uh, it might've been severe Wheeler or something was pulling up (laughs) and he got back. Yeah. He got all the way back and like blocked the shot. Um, So like, you know, I think there's, there is something there defensively. I don't think he's going to be a negative defensive player. I don't think he's going to be anything special on that end either. Um, But yeah, I I definitely like Kyra. I've seen people who are higher on him than this. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think those people just see him as more of like, or see him as a guy with more um, advantage creation potential than I do. Um, but, you know, I think there's, there's a chance he reaches that outcome. I think it's relatively slim, but, you know, second-side creator, I think he's going to be pretty, pretty good either way. Yeah.
0: I've seen him as high as eight to the Knicks. I, I've also heard the comparisons to De'Aaron Fox. He's not De'Aaron. Yeah. I, I mean, he's <laughs> fast. I mean, he's fast, fast, but De'Aaron has an, another an, another gear that uh, not too many people, if anybody, can get to that. But I like Lewis a lot. I think the fit in Phoenix is, is, is pretty good. So, um, yeah, I mean, and, and he can, you can bring him off the bench and let Rubio run the show for another year, and then you have a pretty dynamic backcourt with, uh, with Lewis and Booker. So I like
1: that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the All other right, thing well, about, I ahead. was going to say quickly, the other thing about like the Fox comp, I'm not a fan of it. I think Lewis is a better shooter um, already. And Fox was like so far ahead of him as a vertical athlete.
0: Um, yeah. But Fox, well, his shooting is inconsistent. His rookie year was, it wasn't that good. I want to say his second year was good. And then yeah. it dropped last year.
1: Yeah. I would, I think Lewis is definitely a better shooter, but Fox as like a vertical athlete is just way ahead.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, that wraps it up for today. um, Because what I want to do is I want to break this into three parts. So your top 10, your second tens, and then your last, you know, finish out at 30. Um, And so um, if you'd be open to coming back on and maybe sometime within the next few days, Long as we get it done before the draft, we're down to about 18 <laughs> or 19 days. But yeah, man, I, I enjoyed like uh speaking with you on this episode. Where can the audience reach you or or, or like see your tweets? Or do you have a place where that you had mentioned that you, you wrote some articles, like is there a place where you're storing your articles?
1: Yeah, I mean it's just um like a little Google blogs type thing. Um the link to that is um in my twitter bio um, and you can reach me on twitter it's at w underscore a underscore morris um yeah i'm pretty active tweeting clips or like um statistics or st- stuff like that my opinions so yeah go follow me over there um and check out the blog if you have time i have um, like a little statistical analysis that I did on guard creators. Um, there's an article on Grant Riller, um, one on Nate Hinton, I think too. So there's, there's some stuff you can check out over there. Um, right. But yeah, thanks so much for having me, Raphael.
0: Yeah, no problem. Hopefully I can get you back on for part two and part three. Again, this is Raphael NBA draft junkies with Will Morris. Hopefully you will see more of him with NBA draft junkies. I like his insight. He obviously studies the game, and not just watches film. I can just tell by the way you describe players. You're watching like the entire games, and you're you're paying pretty good attention to the details. So, I had to reach out to you and and have you on, sure. and, and I'm glad the show's been. In my opinion, I, I've I've enjoyed it. I especially when you know you come out with the <laughs> with the shockers <laughs> early early in the game. So I like that a lot. But Again, it's Raphael, Will Morris, NBA Draft Junkies, and we are out.